Chapter Five of After the Divorce by Grazia Deleda, translated by Maria Horner Lansdale. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Denham. Sunday morning, a fortnight later, found all the personages of our story assembled at mass, with priest Elias officiating. The country people said that when he celebrated he seemed to have wings. Giovanna alone was absent, and this for two reasons. First, her late misfortune required the observance of a sort of mourning. She was expected not to show herself outside the house except when her work made it necessary. Apart from this, however, she had fallen into a state of lethargy, and appeared to be quite unable to move about, to go anywhere, to work, or even to pray. She had indeed never been much of a Christian at any time, though before the trial she had made a vow to walk barefoot to a certain church in the mountains, and if Constantino were acquitted, to drag herself on her hands and knees from the point where the church first came into view to its doors, that is, a distance of about two kilometres. Now she had ceased praying, or talking, or eating, and even seemed to have lost all interest in her child. Aunt Bacchisia had to feed him with bread crumbled up in milk in order to keep the poor little fellow alive. Some of the neighbours said that Giovanna was losing her mind, and indeed it did look so. She would remain for hours at a time in a sort of stupor, crouched in a corner with her glassy eyes fixed on vacancy, and when she aroused, it was only to fly into violent paroxysms, tearing her hair and crying out wildly. After the final interview with Constantino, when she had had the child with her, she could think of nothing else, and described the scene in the prison over and over again with the monotonous insistence of a monomaniac. He was there, and he was laughing, he was livid, and yet he laughed standing there behind the bars. Malthinedu seized hold of the bars, and he touched his little hands, and then he laughed. My heart, my heart, don't laugh like that, it hurts me, because I know that it is how dead people laugh and the guards, standing there like harpies? At first they were good to us, those guards who watch over human flesh, but afterwards, when Constantino had been condemned, they were cruel, as cruel as dogs. Malthinu was frightened when he saw them, and cried, and his father laughed. Do you understand? The baby, the little innocent thing, cried. He understood that his father had been condemned, and he cried, "'Oh, my heart! my heart!' Then Aunt Pacicia, beside herself with impatience, and unable to hold in any longer, would exclaim, "'Honestly, Giovanna, anyone would take you to be two years old! That child there has more sense than you, simpleton!' And sometimes, she would threaten to beat her, but prayers, sympathy, and threats were equally unavailing. 
Meanwhile, word came from Nuoro that while waiting to hear from the appeal, Constantino had been removed to the jurisdiction of Cagliari. Then came a short, sad little letter from the prisoner himself. The journey had gone well, but there at Cagliari the heat was suffocating, and certain red insects and others of different colours tormented him night and day. He sent a kiss to the child, and urged Giovanna to bring him up in the fear of God. He also asked to be remembered to his friend Isidoro. On this Sunday, therefore, at the close of the Mass, Aunt Bacchisia waited till the fisherman should have finished singing the sacred lords in his ringing voice, in order to deliver Constantino's message. Priest Elias remained kneeling on the steps of the high altar, with white, ecstatic face, and Isidoro still sang on, but the people began to leave, filing past Aunt Pacicia as she stood waiting. Aunt Martina passed with the fiery bearing of a blooded steed, old but indomitable still. Brontu passed, dressed in a new suit of clothes, his hair shining with oil. He railed at the priests, but on Sunday he went to Mass, and Giacobbe passed, in a pair of new linen trousers, smelling strong of the shop. Still Isidoro sang on. The church at last became almost empty. The fisherman's sonorous voice resounded among the dusty white rafters, the boards and beams of the roof, the side altars covered with coarse cloths adorned with paper flowers, and presided over by melancholy saints of painted wood. When Uncle Isidoro stopped at length, there were only the priest, a boy who was extinguishing the candles, Aunt Bacchisia, and an old blind man left. Isidoro had to repeat the final response to the lords himself. Then he got up, put away the little bell used to mark the stations of the rosary, and moved towards Aunt Bacchisia, who stood waiting for him near the door. They went out together, and she gave him Constantino's message. Then she begged him to do her a favour. It was to ask Priest Elias to go to see Giovanna, and try to reason her out of the condition she had allowed herself to fall into. He promised to do so, and they separated. On the way home, Aunt Bacchisia was joined by Jacobi de Jas, who had been standing on the open square before the church, looking down at the village and the yellow fields, all bathed in sunlight. "'How are you?' asked the herdsman. "'Ah, good Lord, bad enough, without being actually ill. "'And you, how do you like your new place?' "'Oh, I told you how it would be. "'I'm out of the frying-pan into the fire. "'The old woman is as close as the devil. "'She expects me to work till I fall to pieces, "'and will hardly let me come into Mass once a fortnight.' "'And the master?' "'Oh, the master, well, he's just a little beast, that's all.' "'What do you mean by saying such a thing as that, Jacobi? 
"'Well, it's the simple truth, little spring-bird.' "'He growls and snarls over every trifle, and gets drunk, and lies like time. "'I suppose Isidoro Pane told you—' "'He paused, and Aunt Bacchisia, fixing her small green eyes upon him, "'reflected that if he talked like that about his master, he must have some object.' "'Well,' he resumed, "'Isidoro Pane must have told you. "'Of course he told you about Brontu being drunk that evening. "'It was just here where we are now,' Brontu yelled out. "'Tell Giovanna Era that if she gets a divorce, I'll marry her.' "'The beast. "'That's just what he is, a beast. "'He drinks brandy by the cask.' Of the last clause of this speech, however, Aunt Bacchisia took in not one word. The fact that Brontu had said he would marry Giovanna if she got a divorce was all she comprehended. Her green eyes flashed as she asked haughtily, "'And you wish him not to, Jacobi?' "'I? What difference would it make to me, little spring-bird?' "'But you ought to be ashamed of yourself to think of such a thing, Aunt Kite, hardly two weeks after—' "'I'm not a kite!' snapped the old woman angrily, and though the other laughed, she could see that he too was furious. "'You might at least wait to hear from the appeal,' said he, "'and then you can devour Constantino as you would a lamb without spot.' "'Yes, devour him if you want to, but I can tell you that Giovanna will get a brandy-bottle for her husband, and just as long as Martina de Jas is alive, you will starve worse than ever.' "'Ah, you bald pate!' began Aunt Pacicia. But Jacobe walked rapidly away, and she had only the satisfaction of hurling abuse at his retreating back. Not that she proposed to have Giovanna apply for a divorce. Heaven forbid! With poor Constantino still under appeal, and waiting there in that fiery furnace, devoured by horrible insects. No, indeed, but what right had that vile servant to talk of his master so? What business was it of his to meddle in his master's concerns? And Aunt Bacchisia decided then and there that that bald raven had himself taken a fancy to Giovanna, and filled with this new idea she reached the cottage. Her immediate thought was to repeat the whole story to Giovanna, but finding her for the first time in two weeks, bathed and tranquilly engaged in combing out her long hair, which fell down in heavy, tumbled masses, she was afraid to say a word. End of chapter 5 Recording by Tom Denham